0: Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. Today's topic is all about withdrawal rates and how those withdrawal rates should change if you don't have any legacy goals. So as you're looking at withdrawal rates, there's not a perfect formula for how you should do it. Uh, When you retire, what is the right amount that you can take out of your portfolio? Well, in reality, it's going to be based upon how the market does. It's going to be based upon your life expectancy. It's going to be based upon your expenses today and your expenses in the future. It's going to be based upon so many different variables that we come up with the sustainable withdrawal rates as starting points, and then we build from there. But today's episode was prompted by a question that I received on a YouTube video, and the question is this. It says, Excellent video. I discovered your channel a few days ago, and I have been binge-watching. Your mastery of this subject is clear. One question I've never seen anyone address in the 25 years I've been reading and studying this subject is, How should your withdrawal rates change if you have no need or no desire to leave any money behind? end question. So I appreciate this question. And by the way, quick side note, if you have not checked out YouTube already and you're listening to this podcast, be sure to do so. This podcast and other content is available on YouTube under the channel name Root Financial Partners. So please be sure to check that out. But I really like this question and I like a lot of questions because it forces me to think about things in different ways. And sometimes there's a very clear answer and it's just a matter of doing a math problem or it's a matter of responding in a very clear, but really just matter of fact way. Other times there's not a perfect answer. So it really comes down to understanding the desired outcome and then reverse engineering options to get there. I will say this question is the latter of how do you understand the desired outcome and then reverse engineer different options to get there because there's not necessarily studies or a science of how do you do this perfectly? Because when you look at this, just to backpedal a little bit, research on withdrawal rates, whether it's Bill Bengen's research and the 4% rule that was expanded upon, whether it's Jonathan Guyton's research about the guardrails approach and the rules-based withdrawal rates, it was done not to necessarily maximize legacy, but it was done to say, how can you maximize lifetime income that you can create over some standard retirement timeframe between 30 and 40 years? So as you look at this question, the question of how should that withdrawal rate change if you have no need or no desire to leave any money behind, the first thing I'll say is that the research that's been done on withdrawal rates, it wasn't done under the assumption that your goal is to maximize legacy. It was done under the assumption that your goal is to actually maximize lifetime income. However, in many cases, people who stick to these certain withdrawal rates, they do end up with significant asset balances by the end of their retirement. In fact, Michael Kitces did an analysis where he discovered the retirees who followed that 4% rule using a 60-40 portfolio, they were more likely to quadruple their wealth than they were to deplete any of their portfolio principal after 30 years. In other words, let's assume you retire at age 60 and you have a million dollars in your portfolio. You are four times as likely to reach age 90 with $4 million in your portfolio than you are to reach age 90 with fewer than a million dollars in your portfolio. So as you look at this, even though the goal of this research is to say, how do you sustain portfolio income over the duration of retirement? It's not done with the goal of maximizing legacy. In many cases, in most cases, I will say, if you follow these rules, you will actually end up with more money at the end of retirement than you will at the beginning. And the reason for that makes sense. As you look at the 4% rule, for example, it was designed to say, regardless of what happens in the stock market during your retirement, whether times are really good or really bad, what is the highest initial withdrawal rate that is sustainable, whether the market's great or whether the market's horrible? So in other words, it's what's the highest initial withdrawal rate that you can sustain even if the market's horrible? Because if the market's going to be great, well, then of course you could sustain that withdrawal rate. But the bigger question is if it's a terrible market, could you still do so? So that rule is based upon what's the highest amount you can take in the worst scenario. So if you don't have the worst scenario, it just stands to reason that your portfolio is going to keep growing if you're just taking that 4%. So As we start to explore this, what I want to do is take a look at this question. There's not a perfect answer, but I want to explore it from a few different angles so we can start to understand different options for how you can approach this. So let's start with this. Simply put, this listener's goal in this stated question of how should your withdrawal rate change if you have no need or no desire to leave any money behind, what I'm taking that to say is how can I maximize the income I can create if I want to pass away with zero dollars, theoretically, if that's possible. Well, there's a few different options. The first option that you might look at is using something called a single premium immediate annuity. You might hear people abbreviate it as SPIA, S P I A. What a single premium immediate annuity does is it's going to maximize your current income and have no leftover amount. It's almost like you are buying yourself a pension. So, for example, I ran a quote on a website, and this website was USAA's website. And I am doing this in May of 2022, and this is going to be based upon interest rates and a few other factors. But I ran a quote to said, "What if I took a million dollars and I wanted a single premium immediate annuity, and I did it as if today was my 62nd birthday?" What that quote showed me was that if I did a one-time payment of one million dollars, I could create a monthly payout for the rest of my life. Again, assuming I'm a 62-year-old male for $5,153.53 per month. So what that comes out to is $61,842 per year. If I am just looking to say, how can I take the dollars that I have, in this example, 1 million of them, and stick that into a product that will pay me income for the rest of my life, whether that life is five more years or 50 more years, and I'm a 62-year-old male based on this quote it was giving me an initial withdrawal rate of about 6.18%, which sounds fairly high. That's certainly higher than 4%. It's higher than some of the guardrail starting points, but keep in mind that does not increase with inflation. So $5,153 today, I'm still going to be receiving $5,153 per month, 10 years from today, 20 years from today, 30 years from today. So it accomplishes the goal of leaving $0 behind, meaning once I pass away, that would be completely gone. And it accomplishes the goal of giving me a high level of current income today. The downside, though, of that approach is not keeping up with inflation. So even though those dollar values are the same and the income amount is the same each year, the purchasing power is going to be diminished year after year after year. And when you look at it, in most cases, Of course, it depends upon how long you live. If you were to take a standard withdrawal rate, say using the 4% rule, and compared that to this immediate annuity, the single premium immediate annuity, at first, it looks like the immediate annuity is coming out ahead. So a million dollars using the 4% rule generates $40,000 per year. A single premium immediate annuity using this million dollars, it generates $61,842 per year. So it starts out higher. Now keep in mind, there's no principal balance that you have. So if you wanted to do something else with those funds, you still have the million dollars under normal withdrawal rate rules. With a single premium immediate annuity, you would not. But the point is over time, that 4% rule, it's done under the assumption that you're increasing that with inflation over time. So at some point, there's a break-even point where you've actually come out ahead in most cases where, yes, the single premium immediate annuity might look very attractive in the short term. And if you have zero tolerance for ups and downs in the market, or if you want some guaranteed income to be able to pay certain bills or to be able to cover certain expenses, this could be an option. But in many cases, I don't love it. And in most cases, I actually dislike it because you could recreate that using better withdrawal rules, in my opinion. So a single premium immediate annuity option is an option if you want to maximize current income with no leftover amount. But I do think there's better ways to do it. Another way. Again, this episode is just going to be exploring this question from a few different angles so you can start to see what maybe makes most sense for you. Another way is to insure against worst-case scenario and then spend the rest. So what do I mean by that? Well, the biggest risk to this listener's question is running out of money. If you want to spend down your portfolio as much as possible and leave zero legacy goal, it's not necessarily the risk of not leaving a legacy, it's the risk of outliving your dollars. What if you spend this money down too aggressively and money's gone, but you still have life to live? That becomes a major risk. So as you look at this, you probably know what an average year looks like in terms of what your expenses might be. So does it make sense to do an exercise where you say, what does an average year look like? How can I really enjoy these dollars? What type of travel do I want to do? What type of activities do I want to do? How do I want to use these dollars? But then you have to ask yourself, what would a long-term care event do for me? What would a major health event do here? What would another major expense do here? So if I plan every single year as if it's just average and get a sense of, okay, here's what average expenses are. Can my portfolio properly structure that? That's all fine and good until a major health event comes up or until a major long-term care event comes up or until another major expense comes up. So one way you can look at that is say, okay, what are the worst case scenario options of how can I insure against long-term care or insure against a health event or insure against some big expense coming and disrupting some of this. And once all the major expenses or as many as possible, the major expenses are covered, could I then give myself permission just to spend the rest using some average approach of I'm gonna spend this money down over the next 10 years or 20 years or whatever you feel a good proper time horizon is. So for example, what could that look like? Well, think of what could derail your retirement plan. Is it medical costs? Well, if so, do you pay for a more comprehensive Medicare supplement plan? So Medicare supplement or Medigap plan F is the most comprehensive Medicare supplement plan available. You pay a little bit more for it, but Medicare supplement plan F covers 100% of your Medicare cost sharing and leaves you with no out-of-pocket expenses. So do you pay for that for your Medigap policy, which says, okay, even if there's a major health event, is this going to cover a significant portion of those expenses? So I don't have to worry about drawing from my portfolio to cover the rest. Maybe you buy a long-term care insurance policy. So you say, okay, I can at least plan for an annual premium. Of course, that premium could always be adjusted, but you can plan for an annual premium. And even if there's a major long-term care event, you don't have to worry about, well, what if I've spent down my portfolio by that point? because you would have an insurance policy in place. Then do you keep maybe a larger than normal emergency fund for any of the other expenses that may come up? If there's a new car that's needed or another major expense that comes up, it's almost like how do you insure against what can go wrong? Because then you have the remainder of your assets to fully spend and fully enjoy. So that's another type of an approach might look at is how do you insure against worst case scenario and then spend the rest? Because again, if life was just average in terms of here's my average expenses and here's probably what's going to happen, you wouldn't need to insure against worst case scenario. But worst case scenario happens. And if you don't have any margin in your portfolio, because the goal is to fully spin that portfolio down, you're not going to be in a good position to be able to prepare for some of those worst case scenarios. Another option, and I have no idea this particular listener's financial situation or anything like that, but if you have a home, do you view your home as kind of like your plan B asset of what if you plan to spin down your assets and live fully, take those trips and do those activities and really enjoy everything that you have. And you probably want to do so in a responsible manner, of course, and say, okay, can this last for 15 years or 20 years or 30 years? Or I have no idea this listener's age. So I don't know if we're talking to someone who's 70 years old or if it's someone who's 40 years old. But as we were looking at it, do you structure a plan where your goal is to fully withdraw down your assets by some projected life expectancy, say 85 or 90 or 95 or whatever you feel comfortable with? Easier said than done because again, it's still based upon market ups and downs and those ups and downs will either prolong or shorten the lifetime of your portfolio. But if you have a home, do you think of that as your plan B? Okay. If I do potentially run out of money sooner than I thought I would, or maybe I don't run out of money sooner than I thought I would, but maybe I live longer than I thought I would. If you have a home, your home could become that plan B. If necessary, do you sell it? And that would give you some income to continue living and continue making or meeting your expenses. So quick aside here, this isn't necessarily something I recommend doing. I think this approach is something that is not suitable for most people. I just want to explore this because everyone's needs are different. Some people to them, it is very important to have assets, a significant amount of assets left over at the end of the day for legacy goals, for charity, for children, just for financials, comfort and peace of mind. And for others, that's not of importance at all. So this is just, again, exploring this question from different angles more so than it is making a specific recommendation. A fourth thing I would consider looking at is how do you use Social Security to your benefit? So the thing that we're looking at here is if you could guarantee yourself the highest possible income amount on a monthly basis and have $0 at the end of the day, that is what this listener is asking. Social security in a way potentially could help you do that. Let's take a basic example so we can see how, and I'm just kind of manipulating these numbers to work out with the math I want to show. But let's assume someone's 62 years old. Let's assume maybe they have $500,000 in their portfolio. And let's assume that they've had relatively or pretty good high paying job for their entire career and their social security benefit at age 70 is 4,000 per month. Now let's assume this person at 62 says, how do I get as much life out of my financial situation as possible? But only for the next eight years or for the next eight years, I want to travel. I want to live. I want to do whatever I can do. And maybe for them, that costs 65 to 70 grand per year. And then let's assume that after that point, they only want 4,000 or so to live on. Again, I'm manipulating these numbers to make my example look real great here. So, what if they took that $500,000 and said, okay, do we just blow through this? I don't mean blow through it in an irresponsible sense, but do we plan on spending this down over the next eight years where, with even a decent growth rate, it could probably generate 65, 70,000 plus dollars per year of income, which would allow this individual to do everything they'd want to do. But then by 70, they've probably burnt through the entire amount. Well, at 70, there's $4,000 per month of social security benefit coming in. So there's still a baseline level of income that will help to pay those essential expenses along the way. But the concept is, and again, going back to the question and the heart of the question, which is how can we just fully enjoy these assets without any desire to leave anything behind? Could you fully spend down your assets up front or at least mostly spend them down while you fully max my social security, because social security is one of those investments or it's one of those income sources, I should say, that whether you live until 80 or 90 or 100 or 120, you're going to have that as an income floor. So having that as a fallback and using your assets to really support desired lifestyle upfront could be a way of approaching this as well. So these are all just different ways of looking at it, whether it's a single premium immediate annuity, whether it's insuring against worst case scenario and spending the rest, whether it's using your home as an asset, whether it's using social security to your benefit. These are just different ways to explore this because again, in looking at the research and the literature around how do you maximize withdrawal rates, it's not done with the assumption that you want to leave behind a legacy. So because of that, I think my favorite approach, and I talk about this a lot, is that guardrails approach. of There is no perfect formula for success. If you knew exactly what the market was going to do every single year from the day you retired until the day you died, which would also require knowing the day you were going to die, you could come up with a perfect withdrawal strategy to fully spend down all of your assets. You could come up with a perfect withdrawal strategy to spend every last penny that you have, and then your last check goes through, and then you die. That would be an option. But because there's so many variables, and because so many of those variables are outside of our control, There is not that perfect formula for success throughout retirement, which is why I like that guardrails approach. Again, the general framework behind the guardrails is making sure you're not overspending, but also making sure you're not overspending and reviewing this on an annual basis. When the market's up, when the market's down, when inflation's high, when inflation's low, making sure you're staying within the thresholds. So to me, if your goal is to not maximize legacy, spend towards the upper threshold every year of that guardrails approach. And also keep this in mind, the guardrails framework and the research around it was designed to say, how do you generate sustainable income for at least 40 years in retirement? Now, for some people, that's necessary. If you have longevity, if you're retiring relatively early, you may need 40 years of income from your portfolio. But for others, they might be listening to this and say, wait, I'm 75 years old. My health's okay, but it's not great. I don't see myself living until 115. I don't need 40 years of income left. Well, how do you increase that withdrawal rate as your age increases because you don't need that income to last for as many years? So do you need 40 years of income from your portfolio? Well, keep that guardrails range at a relatively low threshold, maybe in the low to mid fives is the standard starting point for that. But if you're already in your 70s or 80s or beyond, well, do not keep it that low. If your goal is not to increase or not to leave any legacy behind, certainly spend more. So this guardrail is just the philosophy of it all, is how can you increase your spending to the greatest extent you possibly can while also ensuring you're not going to run out of money and then have no ability to meet your needs. So in summary, as we look at this, just like with everything else in financial planning, there are multiple ways to accomplish the same goal. There's not a one-size-fits-all approach. There's not a standard withdrawal rate. There's not a standard way of doing things everything truly should be optimized to your unique situation which requires more work more effort more manipulation of what you're doing to make it fit into what you'd like it to do but i think the goal of this is to show there are multiple ways of doing this so whatever way works best for you is going to be completely dependent upon your financial situation but i do hope this was helpful and i do think that it was a good question of how should withdrawal rates change. And it should change if there's a desire to leave no legacy versus if there's a desire to leave substantial legacy. So understanding that, understanding the role your portfolio plays, understanding the variables and the factors on which that depends. And some of them are inside of your control. Some of them are outside of your control. All that is helpful in putting a financial strategy in place that's best for you. I hope that was helpful. I really appreciate the question. And to all of you listening, I really appreciate you listening. If you are enjoying this podcast and have not done so already, it would really mean a lot to me if you would just tap the five-star button, assuming, of course, you're enjoying it. But if you would leave a five-star review, leave a comment and share it. If you have a family member, if you have a friend, if you have a colleague at work, if there's someone you think could benefit from this information, please be sure to share this podcast with them as well. And as always, also be sure to check us out on YouTube. Root Financial Partners is our YouTube channel where you can find this content and more and our goal to make sure that everyone is helping to prepare for the most secure retirement possible. So thanks once again for listening and I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.